Death Happens. What do you do next? With Kimberly Pittman Schultz, the author of Grieving Us, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself. On episode number 175 of the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You know, loss comes along and breaks our heart, and then loss comes along with us for the rest of our lives. But I truly believe grief does not have to be always or all the time. It can be tidal, like the ocean, where it comes and goes. Hi, this is Susan O'Million. I'm the author of the Thriver Zone series of books that help women who've been abused live well as their best revenge. More about my work and the books are at my website, thriverzone.com. You're connecting with Dr. Brad Miller on the Beyond Adversity podcast, helping you to navigate adversity to achieve peace of mind. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, the show dedicated to helping you crush adversity and succeed in life. Brad believes you deserve a life that is fulfilling and impactful. And this show is designed to help you navigate beyond adversity and achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Now, here's Dr. Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. It is such a privilege to have you join me here today as we help you to grow through what you go through to defeat adversity and to achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We invite you to head over to drbradmiller.com. We have a free gift for you there, lots of resources, and over 170 episodes of the podcast featuring experts in personal finance and in health and in diet and in relationships and in the mental health dynamics and also in the area of grieving and death. These are the areas that most of us have to deal with in some form of adversity to get through it. Today, our expert is with us in the area of grieving and loss, and her name is Kimberly Pittman Schultz. She's the author of Grieving Us, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself. Her book is excellent and her process is excellent, and you're going to learn a few things here today. You are going to learn about what it means to Uh, get through grief and find your way back and live mindfully as a force of change in the world. And she really challenges the assumptions that grief and joy are opposites and believe that you can do and can exist with great joy, even in the process of experiencing grief in your life. We're going to learn about this process that she talks about in our conversation here today. You're also going to feel some things. You can't go talk about the uh, this topic of grief and loss without great emotion. And Kimberly talks about losses in her family that she experienced and even now dealing with tremendous, profound uh, grief in her life and how she did it and how she navigated those, those things. But we, we talk about the emotional toll that it takes, the depression, the other things that she went through and how she can be helpful to you. So you're going to learn about what it means to live in joy. You're going to feel the emotion of getting through this. And then on the, when we come back from the other side of the interview, we're going to talk about some of the specifics that Kimberly Pibben Schultz talks about that you can do. This podcast is all about learning and feeling and doing. And we hope that you can do just that. So come back to me on the other end of this fascinating conversation with Kimberly Pittman Schultz. She uh, uh, blogs at poetowl.com. 
Her book is Grieving Us, a Field Guide for Living with Loss Without Losing Yourself. Let's get into our conversation with Kimberly Pittman Schultz right now. Kimberly Pittman Schultz, welcome to Beyond Adversity. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be invited and to have a chance to talk with you, Brad, and um, with your listeners. So great to have you with us here on Beyond Adversity. We really like to deal with issues that get people uh, stuck or send them off into a ditch sometimes. And sometimes it's a financial issue or relationship thing. But one of the things that everybody has to deal with in their family or in their own life is the end of life, is death. And you help us to do this. And you your your website, poetowl.com, helps us to do that. You deal with poetry and writing and other ways that help people deal with grief. And I know that a little bit learned about you that this comes out of your own experience a little bit. I really would like to hear the origin story of what has impacted your life in this area, and particularly what has led you then to create this website and your books and so on about grief. Tell us your story. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, I I appreciate it. Um, And, you know, we all have stories. I know that so many people carry what I call the invisible bag of rocks around things that we live with and we grow through, as you say, um, to move forward in our lives. My experience or my dance with loss and death started when I was about three and a half, where there was a house fire and um, I was saved. But my two sisters who were sleeping in the same room with me could not be saved. And so I learned about loss at a very young age. And of course, it was very difficult for my parents. And my mother especially was forever transformed by the experience. So that was the very, so, so in some ways, loss has just sort of been a part of who I am my whole life. Um, as, as you just said, as you go through life, um, you know, losses sometimes come in waves. And certainly there were other losses along the way. But I would say another very big period in my life where loss and grief really weighed the most heavily at any time in my life is when my mother died in 2003. She had a terminal form of small cell lung cancer. So we knew what was coming, but you're never really ready when it comes. And then just two weeks before she died, my neighbor and next my next door neighbor and friend um, committed suicide, um, actually committed suicide under the tree that my kitchen window looks out of. I did not witness it or anything like that. But you can imagine every time I looked out my kitchen window at that tree, um, that tree took on a very different meaning for me. And so losing, you know, my friend and my mother within two weeks of each other was very difficult. And I did probably what's the worst thing to do, Brad, which is, um, I, I felt like I had to just get away. Like I just, you know, that, that fight or flight feeling. And so I accepted a very important high level position, very demanding position on, on the West Coast. My husband and I, my husband's originally from the West Coast. We were living in Pennsylvania at the time to be closer to my family. So we moved all the way West to a place we'd never lived before. We were in Washington state, Southwest Washington, rather than in California, which is where we are now. And uh, so new job, new home, new location, all new people. And I'm dealing with the death of my mother and the suicide, both of which were pretty heavy duty losses. So those those two things in my life as a child and and as a, uh, I hate to think that was midlife then, but it, it was midlife then, unless I'm going to live to be really old. Um, you know, those were really big deals for me. And so it was really that that loss of my mother and Ruth was my friend's name that had me in a state of grief for a little over two years, a very deep grief. 
and is what led me to eventually figure my way back into my life and develop um, what I call my life support system for living with loss that I have since shared with other people and went on to write about in the book. Yeah. Let me ask you this about the grief that you have shared. And uh, would you describe it as debilitating? What I mean by that is I've worked with some folks who really have a hard time functioning. Would you describe it in any way that this impacted your just day-to-day life? Absolutely, it did. I mean, and when we think of grief, um, people tend to immediately imagine, you know, sadness, you know, all the sort of those emotions, but there's so many emotions and there's physical. I mean, our minds, our spirit, our bodies, our emotions, they are all tied together. So if you start, you know, stirring up one area, it stirs up all the other areas. So for me, it did reach a point uh, at that I did at some point start looking at some one-to-one counseling and had a uh, you know, a physician that wanted to put me on a depression medication. And I will say there are times grief does go into bona fide clinical depression, but I knew in my bones at the time that this was unresolved grief and not yet depression, but it did give me a sense of urgency. And I just didn't want to stay there forever. But yes, it was debilitating. I It was very hard for me to sit in meetings. I was supposed to be leading a team of people. And I just felt like, who cares? I mean, nothing really mattered. It just... Sure. um you know, all of that takes on. And so, you know, I actually ended up, you know, leaving that position and taking something less demanding because I had to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I ask this, because I have a, I'm a retired pastor and I've been privileged to be with around folks at end of life on many occasions, but I've also had the experience of dealing with, you know, folks who've uh, the survivor's family and so on, who have on, a number of occasions have been debilitated mm-hmm. by it, just have a hard time functioning. And I just think it's one of the great adversities that people face. But as you've mentioned, there has to be a process, you know, uh, you know, I grew up studying Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the five stages of death and dying and so on. But there has to be stages beyond that, truly, for people to get healthy beyond that. And that's what we're talking about here. So I'm interested now, Kimberly, in what happened after the, you made a decision to change. You did some things there. Let's talk for a minute about the actions or what you did to begin to break that pattern of debilitation to go on to something else. Let's talk about what you did. Yeah, and I love that you asked that question, Brad, about action, because I think when you're in a deep state of grief, there are different, I mean, everybody grieves differently. That's the most important thing for people to know. It's not the same for any two people. There are no timelines. What works for me may or may not work for others, but um, there are, you know, what I've discovered is three general, general patterns that people tend to fall in around grief. And one is what I call the bear griever or the intuitive griever. And that's someone who tends to be, very, you know, really experience their emotions, tends to want to be very bear-like and go into a cave and just not come out because that's how you're feeling. There's another type I often call the hummer because there's so much action. They just do, do, do to try mm, to stay yeah. one step ahead of grief. And their way of processing it is by doing, rather not one to really go into the emotions. They really want to deal with it by doing but sometimes they do so much that they avoid it so the action of doing is really important and i know for me what really helped me was really i have to say by accident there was a little that small voice inside that said there has to be more for me i can't believe this is it that i'm just like the rest of my life going to feel like this i just didn't believe that's what my life was meant to be you know and it just seemed like a not a good use people have lost their lives i can't waste my life because I feel like I'm living for other people being in a very dark place. So what happened for me is I discovered, 
you know, really the power of coming back to my own senses and my own body and just to the moment. And uh, it started one evening, we were living in southwestern Washington, and we were fortunate to live on a beautiful stretch of the Lewis River, East Fork of the Lewis River. And one night, just feeling really depressed. You know, many times our our habits and routines will break down when we're grieving. But I always made a point of locking all the doors before I went to bed. And this one night, uh, I decided to wander out to the river. And I just wandered out there. And I just stood by the end of the river. And I didn't do anything. I just listened. I listened to the sound of the water over the rocks, which actually sound a little bit like voices coming from upstream. But really, it was just the sound of the water moving through the rocks. I could hear trees shifting, birds maybe shifting um, in their roosts. Uh, I could feel the, the moisture in the air on my arm. And then I turned and just kind of came back. It wasn't very long, just a matter of moments. But as I was heading back to the house, what I realized, Brad, is in that brief moment, I had taken a break from grief. I had taken a break. And that was a big aha moment for me. And so I realized if this could happen by accident, I could be intentional about it. And so I began to create what I call a tiny come back to your senses ritual in the evening and then in the morning. And I made it very intentional acts of starting with just three minutes. Cause when you're really grieving, you know, you don't have a lot of, you have this emotional inertia. And so that was the initial doing for me was just to create these grief breaks by trying to calm myself down and be in the moment and really paying attention to what's happening inside me and what's around me. And it became um, an opening for me to then do other things that would help me get better. And it's interesting that you say that you had to be very intentional about taking those breaks. You might call them just kind of having a whiff or a sense of joy, even in the midst of this you know, over, sometimes overwhelming sadness of grief, but you chose joy in life over, you know, kind of the darkness of, of sadness. And that makes all the difference. And you begin to process that through your process here now. And when we talk about, uh, it does make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. You have to first believe something better. I've worked with so many people over the years and there are times where either people, where people really don't believe, like they really don't believe some, you know, this, my beloved is gone and that can be a person. It can sometimes be an animal companion that was oh, just yes. such a big part of their daily life because there's the dailiness of loving somebody. And if you don't believe something else is possible, then it really actually is going to be hard. And then there are people I've, I've run into some people where they even acknowledge it as a choice. I don't want to be happy. My son is gone yeah. or I don't want to be happy. My, you know, and that. So part of it does start with uh, the belief that something's possible for you that's better than where you're at. And then deciding to move in the direction of that belief. Yeah, I truly believe that some people uh, choose their uh, misery, as it were. They choose to remain somewhat comforted in what they know, their miserableness, rather than choosing to break out of that. And that's the choices we're talking about here, that you're doing this and moving forward. Let's talk about relationships for a second here, Kimberly, and how in the process of grieving, how Relationships can be wonderful and helpful and sometimes not so much. Uh, but tell us about how, uh, about relationships, how, you know, sometimes folks will, uh, in a time of grief, you know, say something like, you know, how can I help and be, you know, sometimes they'll say the wrong thing, but oftentimes their presence is helpful. But tell us about the power and the role of positive relationships 
in the, the grieving process. It could be a family member. It could be a mentor. It could be a coworker. It could be, you know, some, a book you read years ago or poetry or something like this. Tell us about the role of relationships. Well, of course, in the end, the fact that we even grieve is all about relationships, right? I mean, if we didn't love yes. somebody, it wouldn't matter. I mean, so it's really kind of love's fault that we're feeling so awful when, when we yes. lose somebody. But the relationship piece is so powerful, Brad, because sometimes the people around us really want to support us. Uh, and sometimes they'll say dumb things. And what I usually say to myself and to others is because sometimes people get really hu- hung up on additionally hurting like they'll be so angry that somebody said that or so hurt that somebody didn't know better to not say something um that that just compounds their grief to get caught up in what somebody else couldn't do and then there are very real situations um where the people around us for whatever reason can't really support us in the way that we want or need and that's where i say look beyond the immediate people you know if um i was just talking to someone yesterday whose spouse is having a hard time supporting her as she's grieving the loss of her mother. Her mother was very close to her. They had a conflicted relationship and her husband doesn't understand why she's grieving so much since it was not the easiest relationship. And probably part of the reason is because it wasn't the easiest relationship. So she's dealing with a lot of regret and memories. So, you know, what I said to her is, you know, look beyond. Um, I know as a child where I could not really talk with my parents or family about my loss, there were school teachers, there was a grandparent. And now in this virtual age, we can hate this virtual technology at times, but it allows us to connect in circles with people that are on similar paths around support. Just this morning, I was facilitating, I have a a workshop that I've started teaching around um, inviting joy into grief. And, you know, I was working with people that were in completely different parts of the country, and yet we could come to support each other. So the relationships are important. And if you don't have them immediately near you, um, then begin to look at where else you might find that support. And then I would also say to parents in particular, there's a tendency to feel like I've got to be strong and, you know, for my children. And there is some degree to which, you know, you want to help your children, you know, But I really would encourage people to realize grieving doesn't mean you're not strong. You know, Um, sometimes you need to let people know um, and and ask for the help. Sometimes people don't know what you want and you just need to really say, I need this kind of support. And so to remember to just let people know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes vulnerability is a credible healing, healing force there. Let's just keep going with this for a second. Let's just, in terms of practical advice, you know, I, I've deal with this quite a bit in the, when I've dealt with people in loss. So we'll say, well, what do I say? What do I do? I have to go to the, you know, I have to go to the funeral home or whatever it is. I have to, I want, I need to be supportive. Do you have any just thoughts or, or, or guidance for any right. persons about how they can be a good person to be a support for those who are grieving? Yeah. And, you know, what I would say is there there are whole books written out there uh, literally sure. on this topic. And as I've worked with people over the years, sometimes someone will say never, they, no one should ever say that to me. And someone else will say, how come no one ever said that to me? And so I will say there's no one phrase or word that's absolutely 100 percent right or absolutely 100 percent wrong. Um, 
I think the most difficult and most important thing is to actually try to be there for someone. Sometimes we get so worried about what to say or not to say that we don't show up. And that hurts people even more because they don't understand it. So I would say risk risk saying it. But I think there are some simple things. Um, if you don't know someone's faith orientation, some people may find it very helpful to say they're in a better place or as part of a plan uh, for them. For other people that don't hold those belief systems, that can be really upsetting to them. Sure. So I would just say try to you know, not make assumptions about those kinds of things. Um, I think very often we'll say to people, well, if you need any help, just let me know. Well, when people are grieving, when people are grieving, they're generally not going to reach out. They may not even know what they need. And it's mm -hmm. awkward to ask all those sorts of things, even the energy, the physical stamina to do it. A better way of saying that is, if you know, if, are you able to get supper? I'd be happy to bring you a casserole on Tuesday. Yes. So actually try to think about watch what's going on in that person's life and think about, you know, how you can help still offer. I think the most important thing I say to people is because there's also a tendency um, to want to help or even try to fix or make it all better. Um, so I would certainly say, you know, Often that's not what people need. You know, you can't really fix it for them. Sometimes people just need to have their grief witnessed, to have what they're feeling acknowledged. And so sometimes it's not saying a darn thing. And if you are going to offer advice or you hear someone struggling, instead of immediately jumping in with what worked for me or what worked with my best friend's mother's second cousin, is to say, I have some thoughts about that. Would you like a suggestion? Always ask first, do they want some ideas? Because in the moment, that may not be what they want at all. They just want you to sit and hear and witness and and just be a supportive presence in their pain. So sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. And then this idea of be strong, boy, I'd like to ban that one. That's one I think <laughs> I'd like to ban just because it says yeah. two things to a grieving person. It says, don't burden me. I don't want you to fall apart in front of me. I can't handle it. So I need you to be strong, right? That's one of the sure. messages that you're sending to somebody. Yeah. And then it does send the message that somehow... If you cry or you're vulnerable, as you just said, that that's a weakness and it is not. It's a humanness. Yeah, to acknowledge and affirm one's grief and to, you know, to accept that process. You just can't turn it off, you know, not like a snap of fingers you're going to get through it. You touched on something here, Kimberly, and I really want to us to touch on you mentioned about how in related people sometimes you need to be aware about their their faith orientation. I just don't think we can talk about, you know, death and dying and about grief without uh, touching on the element of spirituality or faith or uh, whatever mm -hmm. one's orientation is that way. And what role do you think uh, mm -hmm. that having a faith orientation or somehow connecting to something greater than self, the spiritual direction, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, any, you know, established religion or some other thing, what role does that play in our own personal process of grieving and or how we relate to others? So talk a little bit about this spiritual element of grief. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's an important topic and one that's hard for people to talk about. Um, I have my own personal belief, but I also have what I've observed over time. And I will say my experience is that most people have some belief system of something bigger or beyond themselves. I certainly know people that have been atheists or agnostics. My observation is that in general, um, people that have some belief in something bigger than themselves tend to 
find their way a little bit better and maybe a little bit sooner, but not always. I do feel that for me personally, um, believing that there's something more and, you know, after the law, having a loss at such a young age and not being able to talk about it for many years through actually even go back into elementary school through high school and college, I was something of a spiritual seeker. And I read about all different kinds of faiths. And I kind of came to the conclusion for me personally, and this is just me that almost you know, whether you're talking about indigenous people and their belief systems, or you're talking about a major world religion, they often, or you're talking about quantum mechanics, frankly, they tend to lead you back to the same question about how is it that we're here? If you believe in the big bang, um, to me, that does not have any conflict with believing in God, because as far as we know, the big bang could be God snapping his hand or her hands together saying, well, let's get started. You know, I mean, we don't really know what it is. We don't know what was there before. So I think spirituality and feeling that you're part of something bigger and just feeling interconnected um, to other people as well as other beings. And we are energy. So much of who we are as energy is a very real physical thing, I think can help people get out of their own pain a little bit to see possibility. I think if you're, if it's hard to feel, because I think when you believe in a, something spiritual or have some faith that connects you to something larger, it's it's very easy to get stuck in your own pain and not realize that there is more for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trans- piece of the transformation piece, I believe, is not being so self-absorbed that you are not able to connect up with the other people or understand that for many of us, something greater than uh-huh. ourselves, spirituality or something, is a resource for uh, healing and transformation. Yeah. Speaking of resources for healing and transformation, you've got a book that's helpful to people and you're a poet. And I'd really like to speak for a few minutes here now, uh, Kimberly, about process, about habits, rituals, writing, journaling, poetry, uh, anything else people can do to help them. And you got a number of things I know you mentioned, uh, in your book. But tell us a little bit about uh, this. You, you call it a field guide. And I'm really interested in that terminology, a field yeah. guide for living with loss. But tell us about just some of the uh, some tips or some tracks that people can go on to be uh, help them to deal with grief. Certainly. Well, the reason I decided, Brad, to call it a field guide is because I feel like when we're in, especially in the depths of grief and in the early raw stages of grief, it is like we've landed in a new planet and we're trying to find our favorite way forward. And we don't even know what it is. I mean, grief is such a kaleidoscope of emotions and it can look like anger. It can look like anxiety. I mean, when you, in my book, I point out, you know, almost any death is really three deaths because when we lose somebody we love it, you just can't help reflect on your own mortality and the fact that someday you're not going to exist. And then there's that relationship that existed between you that's forever changed because while you can bring that person with you in your life forward, it's in a different way because they're not physically here. So that's a little bit of why I say field guide is to help people understand what it is that what what you may not think of as grief as grief the many ways it takes shape. But also because for me, sensory healing has been such an important part of that process and um, being having that sense of place and purpose. So very specific practices is taking that idea of a tiny come back to your senses ritual or a little ritual. When you're grieving, many habits get broken. And when you lose someone in your life, I, you know, I was just talking with 
several people who've lost lifelong um, spouses and companions, um, your actual daily rhythm and routine, if you always made lunch for somebody or you always called, you know, your, your significant other at lunch, all those things now, you have these empty spaces that can suddenly become grief holes. So what I talk about is using those moments to really pay attention, starting with just one sense. It could be your sense of smell or hearing or your vision. Often we use our eyes. So I often encourage people to really focus on a sense that they don't usually use because it opens up things that have always been there, but we've never seen because we're focused elsewhere. So one practice is to find a part of your rhythm, like that night for me at the river, I always lock the door. Now in my my life, I mean, I, I always make a cup of tea. I mean, the the you know, the world could be on fire, which sometimes is here in California where I live, but I'm still going to have okay. that cup of tea in the morning. So I, so building something on that, when you get this sort of emotional inertia where you just can't get out of bed or you just can't move forward, you just can't do something that's going to be supportive of you, taking that time with a cup of tea to like fully experience it. What's it smell like? Look at the way the steam rises up out of the cup to just really get focused on those little tiny details of something that simple and basic and ordinary. And what you find is it calms you physically, it calms you mentally. And then frankly, spiritually, you just start to feel more connected to yourself and to the moment and to the very life force. You know, your very own breathing is the most basic thing you could do is just to pay attention to your breathing, right? Because that is what makes you here. So I encourage people to do that. And I do encourage people, we talked about, you know, taking actions. And so I also talk about joy habits. Very often, when people have a loss, they their habits fall apart. So things that they used to love doing or things that they did with their beloved other, they aren't doing. So I encourage people, if there are things that you just stop doing, how can we go from that little sensory ritual that takes the break and, you know, make that break in grief, you feel okay. You might not feel thrilled or wonderful, but you feel okay in the moment that you're calm to then use that time to step into doing something that brings you joy. And that could be meditation. It could be going for a run. It could be making food. It could be, I knew a woman that was all about her sourdough starter and you have to tend that on a regular basis to keep there it going, go. right? Um, it could be a woodworker where you're going out and carving, but finding that thing that brings you some sense of joy that will not only sustain you in that moment, but it will carry you through further into your day. So really, you know, getting yourself in the potential, not just doing for the sake of distraction and saying so busy you think you can put grief away but really doing in a way that brings you in and it may even as you do this it may even open up more emotion but then that's a way of helping you work through that emotion to whatever is going to come next in your life what i love about your sharing here kimberly is some really practical stuff to do it's not just emotional only it's it's the physical and the other things that connect up to the emotion and to the spiritual and to the interpersonal and that's that's great and that's why it's a field guide a field guide to grieving us give yeah, what just one more thing for you then we'll uh, conclude our conversation that has to do with You've been working with a lot of folks here. Folks are reading your book and they're going through your workshops and so on. I'd really like for you to share with me an episode or kind of a testimonial about a person or situation that uh, you've worked with that you've really seen a dramatic transformation from, from, you know, wherever they were at in their grief to a better place. You don't have to give you names, of course, but just tell us about a story about someone you've worked with who's had, had a transformation. 
Oh my gosh. There've been so many people over the years and um, I do always honor their, in my book, I changed most of the names. There are a few names that I did not change, but most of the names are changed in details just to protect the privacy of people and their, and their private grief. But um, one of the stories, very funny. I'm not sure that that's the best one to share, but I can think of, um, I think one of the things I will I will mention is there was a professor that I worked with at one point whose twenty uh, something um, child was killed by a drunk driver, and he was the type of person that was very pragmatic about things. After a brief grief period, taking a little time off from his teaching for a few weeks, you know, he came back into teaching and things were going really pretty well. Um, and then. Uh, you know, he started having problems. And so we were sitting one day, um, you know, having a cup of tea or lunch. I can't remember exactly what. And so I just asked him a little bit more to unpack it because I really didn't know that much. I really didn't know him that well or, or his situation. And he and his son had always had this, this practice on Thursdays, starting when his, his son was a, a teenager and then continuing until even after he moved out of the house and up until the time he was killed by this drunk driver. And the practice, the son had become a born again Christian. And so they would have these conversations and this faculty member was very much science oriented and very evolution oriented. And they would have these discussions every Thursday night um, about, um, you know, their son would go to a, a Bible study and come back and they'd have this conversation and they'd have these little debates. And sometimes they would end beautifully and have a glass of milk, have these conversations. And other times um, they would end very upset and angry and go to bed angry at each other. And the last one of these conversations they had had was one of these difficult conversations mm. that did not end well. So you can imagine the yeah. regret this man was experiencing. So whenever Thursday nights, I think it was a Thursday, maybe it was a Tuesday, but whatever that night was, they did this. You know, his wife was very good about eventually shaping that into a date night. Right. So they went okay. through. So those things shifted, but he was still struggling with. Um, you know, what was happening. And he started having a student challenge him in the classroom about, uh, he encouraged debate. You could, you could put anything out there that you wanted, but you had to be able to back it up, you know, with facts and observations and scientific methodology. And this one student was really challenging him. It was challenging him around this idea of evolution and creationism. Long story short, Brad, um, you know, I suggested some practices and he was just, he just really wanted to flee when the student would stand up or raise his hand. He just, and he says, I've never been like that. And I, so I encouraged him to do was to go into what that emotion was and to stop trying to process it with his brain. But what was he feeling like physically feeling when this young man, uh, I think it was a, a, a male student was sort of challenging him with these questions. And, um, it did lead him to do some self-reflection. He admitted he'd never been a particularly self-reflected to him. That was just navel gazing, as he put it. Um, but I saw him later on and he said, and it was just so such an aha moment for me too. And he said, you know, I realized I have all these regrets about what my son and I didn't say to each other. He said, but it dawned on me, Kimberly, that there was something I missed in all those conversations over all those years. And I was like, what is that? And he goes, my son was trying to save me. I was so busy debating him and doing my scientific methodology. I think my son was trying to save his old man. And it was such a poignant moment, but it was, it was taking him, making him sort of encouraging him to just stop and literally pay attention to what he was physically feeling, his body, because he'd get knotted up and headachy and this fight or flight, this tendency to just want to flee the classroom. 
and and his emotions and just getting him back to paying attention and thinking through that um, I don't get credit for it, but I think it helped him to have that aha moment. And it's so much shifted for him in that moment and his ability to deal with this, deal with this teaching and to really bring a whole level of empathy to the student that had become almost a, a fear factor for him. Yeah, became uh, so an it aha. Very powerful just doing that. Yeah. yeah. An aha moment, a moment of clarification and appreciation of the sun. And hopefully that can then no longer be focused on the, the pain part, but focus on the productivity, the good things that came about it. And that's awesome. But you, beauty, pre- you pre- Yeah, the beauty and depth of the relationship. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And beauty and depth of relationship is what you're about and helping people to deal with grief. And you've got a lot of great, uh, uh, great insights here, Kimberly. And how can folks uh, avail Thank themselves you. of what of what you have to offer? Tell us about how people can get connected with you if they have a, a need in their life that you can speak to. Right. Well, my poet, my my website is poetowl.com, just like the two words, poet and owl together, poetowl.com. And I will set up a landing page for your listeners, Brad. Um, it'll be poetowl.com. And then I'll just have adversity as the backslash so that if people come awesome. to that site, they'll see the, you know, they'll see your cover. And, you know, uh, going to someone's house for the first time, you want something familiar. You want to know there's a familiar face there. So I will do that. Um, my book, of course, can be found wherever you can buy books. I encourage people to use their local booksellers because we want to support our local booksellers as well. They can order the book. Um, and then on my website, there's information about the workshop uh, that I teach, as well as a number of free resources that people can find to support them in their uh, lost journey. And of course, I do hope that this conversation today um, offers at least a few ideas for your listeners that will be helpful to them um, on their own personal journey with loss. I like to say, you know, loss comes along and breaks our heart and then loss comes along with us for the rest of our lives. But I truly believe grief does not have to be always or all the time. It can be tidal like the ocean where it comes and goes. But if anyone feels like it's here forever and that things can never get better, I'm just here to say, if you believe that there's more for you, and I say there is, I really feel there is more for you. Um, then, then, you know, do keep going forward, do move forward in that journey and look for the resources and the people that can support you. One of the great resources we have and what a great way to bring our conversation to close is through the the book, Grieving Us, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself. And our guest today is Kimberly Pittman Schultz, the author of that book. And we'll put connections to everything we've talked about here her website and so on and her books at uh, drbradmiller.com. Thank you for being our guest today on Beyond Adversity with Dr. Thank Brad you. Miller. Kimberly Schultz, Kimberly Pittman Schultz, thank you for being our guest. This is a delightful person for me to talk to, Kimberly Pittman Schultz. I think you saw her tenderness and her care, her compassion for uh Folks who go through loss, go through grief, and all of us do it one time or another. You can't avoid it. I know I've had it in my life. I've lost a grandparents or my own father. And uh, and I remember one time of deep grief that I had when I lost a dog, and she died on Christmas Day. And uh, I just remember that being a time of deep grief because I was trying to hold out to get her through Christmas and just didn't make it. 
uh, these emotional moments come to us when we have these times of loss in our life. Kimberly's book is about a field guide. It's called the, the subtitle is A Field Guide for Living with Loss Without Losing Yourself, Grieving Us, Learning How to Do This. So let's talk about what you can do. We talked a little bit in the front end of our conversation about uh, learning a little bit about her process, about being mindful and about knowing that there is a sense that grief and joy are not opposites. And we, we felt her story and we feel the emotion of grief. But I think there are some unique things that she teaches, Kimberly Pittman Schultz teaches, that can be helpful to us. Here's what some of them are. She calls them tiny Come back to your senses or rituals. These are processes and habits we can learn to return to joy, to return to healthy habits. One of the things that she does to process things and helps teaches others to do is writing poetry specifically. And you can go and go to her website and her books. Many of them are about poetry and about writing, about processing things. The idea is to give yourself new practices, new ways to uh, navigate through your uh, through your grief and to come up with new ways to interview, uh, to understand your grieving as a healing process. Great stuff. Go to her website, poetowl.com. Her name, Kimberly Pittman Schultz. My name is Dr. Brad Miller. I come to you with a background in ministry and in transformational leadership. And I come to you with a passion for helping people like you to navigate through adverse life conditions and to grow through what you go through and to come through to a life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We hope you go to our website, drbradmiller.com. We'll have links to all the stuff about Kimberly Pittman Schultz and other opportunities to connect with over 170 podcast episodes where we deal with matters of depression, divorce, disease, debt, and death and help you to navigate those to crush adversity and come out to a better place. We hope that you'll join us next time here on Beyond Adversity. We'll have another great guest and other great teaching, which will help you to grow through what you go through. So until next time, good people, I just want to commend you and continue to encourage you to always do all the good that you can do. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You can find a complete archive of all episodes at drbradmiller.com. That's drbradmiller.com. Or subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Each week, we bring you a message to crush adversity and live your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose.